Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast for the Massachusetts Bar Association. Today, another episode in the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? Discussing the path from new lawyer to partner through in-depth interviews with lawyers at law firms, solo practitioners, in-house counsel, and government employees about their unique path to a partner-level position. Your host for How Did I Get Here is attorney Mike Malloy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the uh, second episode of How Did I Get Here for the Mass Bar Association's Mass Bar Beat, the first one uh, I am hosting. My name's Mike Malloy. I'm the managing member of Marcotte Law Firm in Lowell, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my first guest, Mike Laird. Uh, Mike's a litigation partner at Nutter in Boston. He represents individuals and, and companies in commercial litigation, product liability claims, pharmaceutical medical device litigation, toxic torts, and regulatory compliance, at least according to his website. Uh, he is a 2008 graduate of Holy Cross, where I had the uh, pleasure of meeting him. And uh, then he went to law school at Tulane, where he graduated in 2011. Uh, hey, Mike, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Mike, good to see you. Thank you for having me. Little did I know that about uh, almost 20 years ago when we were competing for stickball championships uh, at Holy Cross, uh, that one day we'd find ourselves here um, with the Mass Bar Association. So, uh uh, cheers to a to a long uh, friendship relationship, uh, now professional relationship, and uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, the idea that either one of us would have uh, been able to get jobs, never mind uh, be uh, successful in our in our careers, was probably not something we we predicted at the time. But here we are. <laughs> Certainly um, not, not something we thought of, <laughs> at least. <laughs> uh, but in any event, other than what I just said, why don't you tell me a little bit about your practice? What do you got, What do you do at Nutter? So I'd say that my practice is uh, roughly split in half between prox liability defense and commercial litigation. On the prox liability side of the house, uh, predominantly my practice focuses on uh, pharmaceutical and medical devices. And on the commercial litigation side, uh, it's a fairly broad practice um, ranging from breach of contract to tortious interference to uh, claims of violation of Chapter 93A, which is our consumer protection statute. Going back a little bit, you went to Tulane, which is in um, New Orleans, for those who don't know. Your first job out of law school was up here in Massachusetts, correct? Yeah. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about that. How did you, how'd you make the leap? I'm sure a lot of people are, are interested in hearing that. Sure. So, uh, so as you mentioned, I graduated in 2011. We were still very much in the recession at that point. And it was tough uh, to, to find a job at the time. I'm, I've been envious of uh, recent graduates uh, who've, uh, who've, who've come into the workforce in the past few years. Where yeah, it was not like that when, uh, <laughs> when we were coming up. It was not like that at all. I, I think uh, the statistics stuck out in my mind that uh, only about 25% of my class had a job at graduation. Uh, I was fortunate that I did, but it was mostly dumb luck, and I have my, <laughs> my wife to thank for that. Uh, we were dating at the time. Uh, I was having uh, a difficult time trying to land a, a summer summer internship, summer associate position in Boston, uh, coming from out of state. And this would have been after your first year of law school? Well, or so yeah, it would have been for my um, the summer between second and third year. So yeah, sure. I probably started that process uh, either at the end of first year or beginning of second year. Having a tough, tough time finding a job. And my wife, uh, who was a teacher at the time, was just having lunch with one of her fellow teachers who's husband, happened to be a lawyer in Boston. And my wife mentioned, hey, you know, my, my boyfriend's having a tough time. Any chance he could connect with your husband, send him uh, his resume? And fortunately, she said yes and put me in touch uh, 
with the husband and sent him my resume. They brought me in for an interview and fortunately uh, landed the summer associate position, which then uh, fortunately turned into full-time employment after that. I, I feel I got lucky for the most part, but if anything, it's it's your network. It's who you know. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, anything you get is dumb luck. But if you try hard enough and, and you try enough times, then eventually it's going to work out for you. So, you know, just because you don't get a hit today doesn't mean you're not going to get a hit tomorrow. And, and I think that's important to remember. Yeah. You miss 100% of the shots you don't. You know, try telling that to my little little kid who gets upset every time he loses something. But it's the same concept <laughs> uh, even in adulthood. So you first start getting into practice. I want to ask a little bit about the learning curve. You feel like you knew what you were doing when you first started or did it take some time to get uh, your feet uh, under you? Oh, it certainly takes some time to get your feet under you. It's a steep learning curve. Um, the practice of law is very different than the theory that you learn in law school, um, or at least it was for me. And I, I Same fe- here. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you would, uh, you would agree with that. I, I think I'm still learning. I think uh, that's part, one of the, the uh, great things about our profession is there's always room for improvement. There's always room for learning. Um, at least I found that within the first 12-ish years that I've been practicing. Um, Any specific it, strategies you use to try to, um, you know, get get that confidence and, and, and kind of feel like you know what you were doing? Yeah, so I, I think very generally, you, you've got to surround yourself with smart people. You've got to surround yourself with people who've done it before. I mean, it's... Uh, being an associate is almost like being in an apprenticeship and you're learning on the job from the experts, the people who have been there and done it before uh, and uh, without learning from some really smart people. And I continue to learn from some really smart people. Uh, I don't think I'd be where I am right now. Um, you mentioned confidence. Uh, I think it took several years into practice before I really had that confidence to say, yeah, I can run with this case. I know what I'm doing. I, I don't sort of need the uh, intensive supervision that that uh, is typical in your first few years. Um, I think at first, uh, when I first started practicing, I got caught up in trying to do things the same way that everyone else did, at least at my firm. And I thought sort of, uh, well, this is the template. Uh, I better not stray too far from it because this is what everyone uses and and this is what's been approved and and so I really f- my first few years I think got caught in the habit of um, just sort of uh, going by whatever template we had I'd say it probably wasn't until a few years out four or five years that I started thinking to myself well just because it was done that way before doesn't necessarily mean that's the right way for this particular case. And I think that was a really powerful uh, realization. Right. It's also not necessarily just the fact that every case is different, but that the way other people do things aren't necessarily going to be the the way that you do things because you're a different person and you have your own strengths and weaknesses, just that the other person has his or her own strengths and weaknesses. And, and, and I think trying to do it or trying to copy somebody 100% is probably a disservice to yourself and your client, right? That's exactly right. And I, I have a particular memory that sticks out. And again, it's probably four years in, five years in, something like that. Uh, I was working uh, with a partner at my, at my former firm. He, he was a longtime big law partner. He had been there and done that and, uh, for, for decades before I even started practicing. And 
we had a commercial dispute and it was either a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment that I was working on. And uh, we really uh, didn't have a, a template uh, for what I was working on. So this was a really very much a you know, motion I wrote from scratch. Uh, and I remember you know, handing it to the partner and you know, he, he talking about edits and, and revisions. And he said, finally, you stopped writing like a lawyer. <laughs> and that was a really great mo- moment or memory that I have. Uh, and that was five, six, seven years ago now. But, I, you know, it's really stuck with me. And what I think he meant by that was you, you stopped feeling confined to whatever the playbook was before and you used your own creativity. You, you developed your own playbook. Uh, the, and the way you wrote really uh, is, was not convoluted. It was uh, more of a straightforward approach. And I think that memory has really stuck with me because now every time I write a motion or, or argue with the court, I think to myself, okay, the judge, your audience, whoever that may be, in most cases the judge, uh, uh, for the most part is really unfamiliar with your case um, and so you need to be able to distill complex concepts into uh, bite-sized pieces, right? That, that anyone who picking your brief up and maybe they only have a f- 20 minutes, an hour, whatever, you, they, don't, they have not spent nearly the number of hours and days and weeks that you've spent with your brief. Someone picking up for the first time has to be able to read through it and, and your point has to be able to come across in a very digestible uh, easy to read manner. And so I think that that memory has really stuck with me um, throughout my practice. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things about being a lawyer is that you you are you're up to your neck in in this one issue, so you know all the details of it. You know all the pros, you know all the cons, you know all the warts. Um, but but your audience, whether it's a judge or jury or a mediator or another lawyer or whatever it is, uh, they probably don't have the same, um, same comprehensive knowledge that you have, and so it's the idea is is is, and sometimes you get lost in 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 trying to distill that down to somebody who doesn't have the same knowledge as you, and that's that's what being a lawyer is all about. Sometimes, right? We uh, you know we're we're storytellers at the most basic level, whether it's a judge, a jury. Uh, our job is to take complex problems uh, and tell them in a story that is easy to understand and that someone unfamiliar with your case can say, okay, that, that makes sense. And I'm going to side with Mike and his client. You know, that, that's a, yeah. it's a powerful, uh, a powerful tool to be able to tell a compelling persuasive story. Yeah. Makes you feel good too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so kind of switching up a little bit. Um, so you switched firms at some point when you were an associate, right? I did. Yeah. And, and so, um, and you were, you were an associate for how many years at that point? So you'd consider yourself a, a what? So I was about six years, six and a half years out uh, when I switched uh, from my old firm to to my current firm. And now I've been at, at Nutter uh, for about six years. So my, my career roughly breaks down into halves. You mm-hmm. know, I spent six years in one place and six years in another. And so talk to me a little bit about the thought process that went into making the move. You know, what are the pros and cons that you're trying to balance at the, at the time? Really, for me, it was the chance to prove myself at the highest level. It was uh, my shot at the big leagues, so to speak. Uh, I wanted to prove to so my— So you're at a smaller firm? I was. I was at a smaller firm. Not 
tiny, mid-sized firm, um, for yeah. 40, 45, 50. Yeah, it's firms. all relative, right? It, it's all relative, right? Uh, but I, I had spent six, uh, six plus years there. Uh, I had, I had learned a lot, um, but I felt I had more to learn. Uh, I felt I wanted to be on the biggest stage, uh, or at least, I at least wanted to take a shot at it and see if I could hang. I, I wasn't sure, frankly, moving to Nutter if I could keep up. Uh, you know, if I had what it took, sure. uh, but I wanted to take a shot and, and see what I had. Um, that consideration was balanced against, uh, I was a new father. Uh, my wife and I had just had our first child at the time. Uh, and so I was very concerned with, uh, the competing interest of w- wanting to be a good dad, wanting to be a good family man. Um, so, uh, during the interview process, uh, I knew, a partner at Nutter. I had uh, spoken at a conference with him about a year or so beforehand and gotten to know him a little bit. And uh, so I reached out to him and I said, hey, you know, I'm think- I see this opening. I'm thinking about the position. It seems to, what, you know, what you're looking for seems to align well with my background, my experience. Uh, but, you know, frankly, you know, I, we have a newborn baby that that's going to compete for, for my time and, mm-hmm. and interest, you know, what is your experience like at Nutter raising a family? I knew he had he had a couple of young kids himself, mm-hmm. and he couldn't have been more reassuring that Nutter was a great place to be able to practice at the highest level, but still have time and and still be there for your family. Uh, and six years later, that's remained true. We, now we have two kids, um, and uh, I see myself as both uh, both lawyer and dad, and. Um, it seems to the combination seems to work pretty well for me. And so, talk a little bit. I, I assume that that you know, when you decide to make the move, the you hope to be there long term. You hope to make partner. You hope to to be successful at Nutter. You're not just using that as a jumping point for something else. Tell me a little bit about that. Are those conversations you have while you're interviewing, or or as you progress? And tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Th- that was uh, one of the main talking points, um, uh, maybe even selling points that I wanted to get across, uh, during my interview process, uh, which was, I am in it for the long haul, of, of course, if you'll have me. Um, but I wanted to show not, or I guess really any employer, if we're, if we're expanding it to tips, I think it's important to demonstrate to a prospective employer that you're not just there for the short term, um, that you are, you're in it for the long haul. You want to make partner. Um, law firms spend an incredible amount of time and resources training associates. Uh, it, now being on the partner side of things, it's very difficult to see when you've spent that time, those time and resources, and then see an associate go elsewhere. Now, I also believe that everyone has to uh, do what's in their own best interests. And if it is not in someone's best interest to stay at Nutter, then Certainly, I wish them well. You know, I want because I want people who are invested in Nutter in the cases that they work on with me. And if someone isn't invested, that's fine, no problem. Um, you know, I, w- I wish you very well. It, it, it's you know, sorry to see you go, um, but I wish you well. Um, and who knows in five, ten years where either of us will be? And um, or you don't want to so burn any bridges. You, oh, you never want to burn a bridge. I, I, I'm very. Uh, since making partner a couple of years ago, the value of my network ha- has really been uh, a key focus for me. 
And so certainly never want to burn a bridge, but that's sort of, in my mind, the bare minimum. You want to actively remain in contact with people who have come and gone in 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 your past, whether it's at my old firm, my current firm, a- anywhere. Um, I found uh, that the value of my network has been tremendous. And uh, so I take very active steps to try and um, cultivate and uh, and keep tabs with, with my network. I would say staying in touch, uh, keeping in touch with your network is hugely important. It, it sounds like you're you're in a role where you know as a probably junior level partner, you're doing a lot of associate development. I would assume. And what kind of advice do you give to a new lawyer, junior associate looking to advance uh, his or her career? So I would say first and foremost, we have to provide exceptional client service. Uh, that's why clients come to Nutter. That's one of our core values. Uh, we have to provide thorough, detailed, and creative work oftentimes. Like I mentioned, we're storytellers. It's not one size fits all. Every story has to be crafted to the particular facts of your case, to your particular client. And so I don't want associates who are just going through the motions or, or lawyers. I shouldn't say associates, any lawyer. It, it, it's not going to benefit you to just go through the motions. You have to really dig in, think about your facts, think about the application of law, and oftentimes get creative in your arguments. That's uh, what I love about litigation is sort of the intellectual competition. You know, I grew up playing sports. I mean, you know, we played intramurals together at Holy Cross. I I thrive on that competition. I I want to win. And so I love that aspect of litigation where, okay, I'll give you my best arguments. You give me your best arguments. I'll tell you why you're wrong. And then I'll have the judge tell you why you're wrong. (laughs) Uh, I I love that. I I thrive on that sort of environment. Uh, And so first and foremost, in terms of advice is providing exceptional client service and providing really thorough, creative solutions for our clients. I would add that the practice of law is hard. And I don't know how much advice this is so much as a realization, but what I often say to associates or other lawyers is you have to really love the practice of law. And that doesn't mean that every day is going to be sunshine and rainbows. In fact, oftentimes it's not. But Most that, of the time it's not. <laughs> well, hopefully there's more good days than bad. Well, we're talking but, sunshine and rainbows. That's, that's okay. an exceptional day. <laughs> that, that's true. But you have to, I say you have to really love it because there are going to be a lot of tough times, a lot of bad days. Uh, but you have to be really invested in what you're doing, invested in your clients in order to, to, to get over those hurdles and, uh, and really to move up to the next level. This was, this was a hard realization for me as an associate moving up to partnership. Uh, I thought, geez, you know, I worked really hard in this associate. This is great. Now, okay, I've, I've hit the top. I've made partner. Everything's going to be great. Well, guess what? Now I'm working even harder as a partner. And right, you're doing the same amount of legal work, but then there are the other obligations you have to do at the same time. That's exactly right. It's the other obligations that, as an associate, primarily your responsibility is to do good work, do the substantive work. At the partner level, certainly my clients hire me because they believe I do good work, exceptional work, hopefully. Um, but also, there's a whole lot of um, non substantive work that goes into building your practice and and being a a good firm citizen. Um, It's a lot of behind the scenes work that 
I, I wasn't really privy to or perhaps never really thought about uh, when I was an associate. And so that's why I say you have to really love it because if you do want to move up the ladder and you know become a partner one day, you have to understand you are going to be making a huge commitment of your time, of your resources to your practice. If you want to build a practice and ultimately want to be successful, you have to be willing to invest that time and often not seeing any sort of instant gratification. I mean, you've got to be laying the groundwork sometimes for years before potentially something comes in the door or you get some 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 uh, benefit out of it. You know, obviously, being a good lawyer is 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 kind of the bar for being a um, a successful lawyer, right? You got to be a, a good lawyer for people to hire you. But other than just being good at what you do, what are the most important things that kind of helped you in your career? Most people are good lawyers. It's a competition, right? I'm competing against I, I don't know thousands of other lawyers just in Greater Boston mm-hmm. for this for the same or similar clientele. So you have to keep that in mind and you have to have sort of a a hustle mentality, I think. You have to understand that it is a competition for clients, for work. This was an interesting realization I had uh, when I became partner was I was so used to as an associate just working on cases that a partner would ask me to to help them on. I I realized uh, when I became a partner, in order to do that good work, you first need that work to come in the door. Yeah, the, right? pho- the phone's got to ring. <laughs> yeah, the phone's got to ring, um, which, which is a first step that I never really thought about much as an associate because it was sort of taken for granted that, yes, of course, I'm going to – the work will be there. I'll do the work. Uh, but, yeah, upon becoming a partner, you say, oh, that, that, that phone's got to ring before you can then start doing the good work. Um, so it, it's a competition, and uh, I'd say – you got to think what separates you from the pack and what are you doing to get better? I mean, you know, you take me, you know, I said I'm competing against thousands of other lawyers in the city. What am I doing to set myself apart from those thousands of lawyers? What do I do? Well, first and foremost, as I mentioned, I have to provide exceptional client service. And what does that mean? It means late nights. It sometimes means weekends. It means being available, being attentive to your clients, uh, your clients have to believe and that when a client hires me, they're putting their trust in me. And that's a powerful thing. And I know you, you, you have, you know, you have your own clients and, and they put their trust in you. When someone puts their trust in you, that that's a really powerful thing. And you, you can't drop the ball and you have to give them your very best. At least that's what I believe. Um, and you're also talking. You were talking a little bit about customer service, and then sometimes it's lost on people that that being a lawyer is a you're in the customer service business, just the same as any other customer service, whether you know highly skilled customer service or you're 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 you know the um, the the taking orders at a McDonald's. It doesn't really matter. You're there to serve your customers, one way or the other. Absolutely, absolutely right. Um, we we don't sell products. We don't sell widgets. We sell our time. We sell our expertise. We sell... You sell yourself. We sell ourselves, right? Um, And hopefully we sell a good result for the client. At least that's what I spend most of my waking minutes trying to do for my clients is get that good result. Um, That's why you lose so much sleep. (laughs) That's why the grays are coming in. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Uh, And I think 
the other piece of this uh, is you've, especially me, how do I separate myself from the competition? I've got to constantly be hustling. I've got to constantly be networking. I have to have my name top of mind. I, I mentioned the, the grays coming in, right? If you just stack me up in a lineup against several lawyers who have 20 years more experience than me, nine times out of 10 or 99 out of 100 times, a, a client is going to go with the more experienced lawyer. And for good reason. I, I don't, you know, I don't fault anyone for that, but you have to have that, you know, at my uh, level, you have to be mindful of that. And what do I do to compete against lawyers with more experience than myself? I have to get out there. I have to be pounding the pavement. I have to be going to dinners. I have to be going to networking events. I have to be um, meeting with you and, and doing a podcast. I have to be out there and have to have my name top of mind. That's my plan. And, and that's how I see myself uh, getting a competitive edge against the thousands of other lawyers in the city. Yeah, that's good advice. You know, there is a, usually it applies to dating, but there are a lot of fish in the sea, right? And it's the same concept with, with lawyers is that if, if you're not available for something or you're not doing what you need to do to, to, to get the business, somebody else is going to get that business and you got to feed the family somehow. That's right. And if I could add one point on that, Mike, you and I probably um, soon after graduating law school, at least a, at least a few years into practice, both of us got involved in the Mass Bar Association. I think that's been an incredible tool for me, um, both substantively and for networking. Uh, we were both involved uh, when we uh, first got out into practice in uh, what's called the Young Lawyers Division for lawyers 10 years or less uh, into practice. You know, after spending several years with that group uh, and now actually having left that group for you know, or having graduated from that group after several years. I think what you're trying to say, now that we're too old for that group. <laughs> now that we have aged out of that group, a lot of some of my strongest connections in the city or, or Massachusetts are those other lawyers from the Young Lawyers Division, you being one of them. Um, and and seeing, you know, I've mentioned my network many times because I think it's so invaluable, you know, other than, as you mentioned, being an exceptional practitioner, the other biggest piece of being a good lawyer is having a strong network. And I think getting involved in professional organizations such as the Mass Bar Association taught me at a pretty young age in terms of or experience level, uh, the value of your network uh, and it's remained true to this day. I mean, so, as I mentioned, several of my closest connections in Massachusetts are all from that young lawyers group that now I haven't been involved with for several years. Mm -hmm. um, so what you know, whatever the organization is, I think getting involved in professional organizations um, or nonprofits or your uh, your your college uh, alumni group or your law school alumni group, any of those, getting involved in external organizations is hugely important. Anytime I see an associate who is, well, I guess this applied more in the pre-pandemic days, but um, if, if they were just stuck in, at their desk, chained to their desk, so to speak, um, I would say, you've got to get out. Like it, it is wonderful that you're doing great work and you're doing a lot of the work. But again, that's sort of the bare minimum. You have to do that Plus, mm -hmm. you need to be out there networking because if nobody knows that you do great work, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. You need your network to know that you do great work. The idea of that is very daunting, right? Absolutely. And so I always 
no matter what group it is, it's always it's always hard to go that first time. You're like, I don't know anybody. What am I going to do? I don't have anybody to go with me. And so, you know, I don't know what your strategy was, but mine was always just to set very low and attainable goals. So you, I would go to an event and it's like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to call it a success if I come out meeting one person. Right. And then right. next thing you know, it snowballs and, and fast forward, you know, 10, 12 years. Here we are with with a with a network. And that's how it works. Absolutely. So, yeah, to just uh, piggyback on that point in terms of you know tips for networking, you know, for me, it's sort of uh, like riding a bike. That first time you're going to fall, the second time you're going to fall, the third time. But the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And so, yeah, I, I think attainable goals like that. Okay, I just gonna want to meet one person. Then next time, all right, I want to meet two and, and so on and so forth. And then the, this is why I say getting involved in a particular organization. That first meeting is going to be daunting, is going to be scary because – Chances are you're not going to know anybody in that organization. But okay, you go to that first meeting, then you go, you meet somebody. You go to the second meeting, oh, hey, good to see you again. You go to the third meeting, hey, good to... And before you know it, you have now created a friendship or, or a, at least, um, you know, a relationship with that person. And then, it, then they introduce you to their connections and you introduce them to yours. And it snowballs, as you said. Um, so, yeah, it is very hard at first. And I know people don't love the idea of networking. And I didn't love it either at the start. But the more you do it, the more it builds on itself and the easier it gets. Yeah. I remember being on a board for a while and you meet a lot of people and it's really, it's not something that had anything to do with my my business. So it's not like I'm, it's generating a lot of business, but you're, you know, you get your name out there and help out in the community and and it's, it's a win-win. And then this one person that I had been on the board with, you know, four or five years later calls me. He goes, yeah, so you, I was on the board with you. You were a very hard worker. I had this thing come across. Can you handle this? And and that's how, and exactly. that's how it works. Yep, exactly right. You got to plant the seed in order for the tree to grow. We're running short on time, so I wanted to ask you one last question. You know, everybody knows that being a lawyer is stressful. We, we touched upon that a little bit earlier. What kind of things do you do to take care of yourself to make sure that you're you're staying healthy and, and, and balanced on your own right. Sure. Well, well so first and foremost, uh, I'm blessed with a beautiful family. Uh, I've got a great wife, two uh, beautiful, loving children. Uh, and so just being able to come home at the end of the day, and um, especially now in the uh, post-pandemic remote work world, the ability to be home for dinner is a huge advantage that I really never appreciated uh, pre-pandemic when the expectation was you're in the office every single day. But now those times when I am able to be home for dinner, I mean, that's a huge, uh, huge benefit for so many reasons, but certainly one of them is the um, de-stressing, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, just taking your mind off work, you know, asking my kindergartner how her day was at school. What did she learn? Um, asking my, uh, preschool son, you know, uh, who'd he play with today? That, that sort of stuff. Um, it, it, it's, as I mentioned, the benefits are countless, uh, but it really puts things in perspective as to well, why, why am I doing, why am I working so hard? Well, I'm doing it for them, you know, and, and that really helps put things in perspective. And then the other thing I would say is you've got to have a hobby or an activity for yourself. And so for me on Sunday nights, I play hockey. Um, it's, uh, you know, a sport I grew up playing. Um, and, uh, I got back into it maybe five, seven years ago and it's great. You know, it's just a couple hours to myself, uh, some time away, get to 
hang out with the boys and, and just, uh, just do something I I've loved since, since I was a kid. So, uh, I would say th- those two things, uh, really help keep me, uh, keep me going. No injuries. <laughs> Nothing major, fortunately. All right. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of time, I've taken up way too much of yours. I appreciate you being here and, uh, thanks again. Thanks Mike. It's been great. You've been listening to How Did I Get Here on the Mass Bar B podcast, available for free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal assistance, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Just call 866-627-7577. That number again, 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat, produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich. Thanks for listening. <laughs>